The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. All right, Gospel of John, chapter 7. Here we go. Um, a couple weeks ago, we paused to focus on community groups and then celebrate baptisms together, and it was great celebrating new life. Today, we rejoin Jesus in the journey of his life. He, we've been going kind of step by step with Jesus through the Gospel of John. John was written by uh, one of Jesus' closest friends, a disciple of his. And he gives us a unique snapshot, different than the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, John captures some stories and some statements, uh, some purposes and passions of Christ that the others don't focus on. And so what is really cool about the book of John is in John chapter 20, John tells us the reason he wrote the book. He said, I, everything that I've recorded here, I've recorded so that you might believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. God made flesh and came to be with us. That's the whole purpose of everything we're reading. And so in the first six chapters, we cover two years of Jesus' ministry life. Jesus lived 33 years. The first 30 years, he was walking in the shadows of his father. Uh, as a carpenter's son, and at about the age of 30, it becomes revealed to the world that Jesus is the Messiah. And he spends his last three years of his life really declaring his purpose for coming, telling people that he loved them, healing those who were in need, feeding the hungry, and ultimately saying, everything I'm doing for you, I'm doing for one main purpose. Every miracle I'm performing John doesn't call miracles miracles. He calls them signs. Signs are important for a number of reasons. Signs typically tell us where to go. They give us information that's needed to know. When you walked at the door this morning, there's a sign there with arrows on it pointing at where you should go. Signs are to point to something else. But what was confusing about what was going on in the first couple of years is everybody was amazed at the sign not the sign maker. They loved the food that was being provided, but not the provider. They loved the fact that they could get healed and forgiven, but they didn't really care much about the one doing the healing and forgiveness. And here we're going to see that again uh, as we see into the family, the brothers of Jesus. We're going to see into the crowds, those who have heard about Jesus, and we're going to see Jesus kind of begin to go toe-to-toe with those in the leadership, the religious leadership of the day, to kind of issue them some course correction. You've, you've missed it. I'm here to lead you. And in order for you to truly know the will of God, you first have your will line up with God. And so let's dive in. We're going to cover just the first 24 verses of John chapter 7, and then we'll pick up more next week. All right? All right, so let's start John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went to Galilee. That was his hometown. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were now seeking to kill him. If you remember, six months ago in our story, Jesus showed up during Passover and had turned... Uh, a bunch of 
couple loaves of uh, bread and a few fish into a meal that fed everyone. Six months has now passed, and now Jesus shows up on the scene again. Uh, during that six months, he's aware that they're angry with him. He's aware that they're upset that he healed a man on the Sabbath day. Um, he is aware that these religious elite are after him. Uh, they want him taken out. And so he doesn't go into hiding, but he takes some time to withdraw, to focus more on building a strong foundation for his closest followers. In John 6, verse 66, we see that the masses of followers that are typically following Jesus, the good deed doer, Jesus, the healer, Jesus, the genie in the bottle, Jesus said, come and follow me. And so many of them were coming to follow. Jesus said in John chapter 1, you're amazed that I was able to tell you these things. You're going to see even more amazing things. So people are following him in droves by the thousands. But as soon as Jesus takes the next step, it's not just come and follow me. It's come and let your life consume me. Let me consume every area of your life. Not just come and follow me, but come and be of me. Referring to music. We have music playing in the system. Mason, who's back there? Or is that outside? That's outside. I got like a loud shriek. Okay. Plus the garage door is open. It's fine. All right. Okay. Um, so anyway, I'll try to tune out that. Um, so these people are, are, are focusing on the things he's doing and not who he is. And Jesus withdraws and he begins to prepare his closest friends, the 12 disciples, for what's about to come. Six months from what we're reading today, he is going to enter into Jerusalem to lay down his life, to go to the cross in our place. He knows that they're ready to kill him, but his time has not yet come. He's going to do it in his way. So he has been withdrawn. Thank you, Mason. He's been withdrawn. And now he comes back to the scene. And his biological brothers, um, they're unhappy with his methods. And, and we're going to see three problems in our passage today. People have problems with Jesus' methods. People have problems with Jesus' message. And people have problems with his motive. So the first five verses, we're going to see the problem they have with his methods. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He could not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. The feast of booths was uh, for, again, the Jews, one of the, the primary festivals where people would travel from, from miles and miles away to come and to remember the time of the journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Because Moses led them out of the land, through the wilderness, and because of their disobedience, God was faithful. He, he provided food for them in the form of manna. He provided water for them. He provided meat in the form of quail. He provided protection and provision. And God was always faithful, even in spite of their faithlessness. Uh, the scriptures say, even though we are faithful, faithfulness works. And so God led them through this time. And they were never more than 10 days' journey from their final destination. But because of their disobedience, God said, those of you who are adults, 
this generation except for two of you, Joshua and Caleb. You will not enter the promised land. And so they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 days. And where did they sleep? They basically slept in tents. And so this festival of booths, festival of tabernacles, festival of tents, um, was to remember the time of the wilderness. Uh, back when I was a youth pastor at First Baptist Church, we did an event called 30-Hour Famine. And you'd, you'd go 30 hours without eating to kind of get the feeling of what it's like to be hungry. To be able to understand what world hunger was like. And we took it another step and we made all the kids sleep outside in cardboard boxes so that you could kind of get a feel of what it would be like to be without. And that's in a sense what this festival was like. They, they, many of them who lived in Jerusalem, they would literally go outside their house, they would build a, a tent of sorts, and they would sleep in it during the festival to remember back. And it's in the midst of this festival that Jesus again, he, he has a way of setting up signs in the midst of crowds to point them to who he really is. This feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers, his, his biological brothers came, his half-brothers came to him and said, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples, not the 12 that are with you, but all of those who left you, go back and win them over. You know, you, you said some harsh things. You said some things that were kind of out of the blue. Stop talking like that. Go back to the festival, perform some good works like you've done before, you know, wow everybody, win the crowd back, so that they may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. So they're basically saying, Jesus, we don't know who's your, who's your agent or who's coming up with your, your uh, promotional plan, but you need to get back out with some crowds. Uh, you need to get back out and start wowing everyone again if you're going to become popular, if you really want your message to get out, stop withdrawing to the, 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 the wilderness and the private areas where you've been the past six months. Get back down to Judea. Why do they say this? There's a number of reasons that we can get into. You know, have you ever had someone famous in your life and it kind of feels cool to know that you know somebody famous? Uh, I, I, that's happened to me a couple times. Uh, maybe they were like, you know, Jesus might be our claim to fame. If, if he, he, he's a great miracle worker. They believed in that part of him. But look at verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. There are two types of belief in this world. There's those who believe in the things that Jesus can do for us. And there are those who believe in Jesus and who he is. Two completely different types of belief. I was watching a documentary on some of the problems with the church. And some of the problems within the church is there's a lot of preaching of come to Jesus and he will be your genie in a bottle. A, a really popular worship leader uh, from a famous church. Many of us have heard the songs. They, this worship leader was being interviewed. He said, what do you love most about Jesus? And she literally said, And the sad thing is that Jesus didn't come to be our genie in a bottle, to fulfill our wishes, to make all of our dreams come true. 
Jesus did not come so that you could earn enough of his favor and he'll bless you with riches. Jesus said, as I suffer, you will do my suffering. They wanted to believe and they believed that the things that Jesus was doing were not not even his own brothers believed in him. His, 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 his brothers were like, there's a problem with you. Stop hiding. Get back to the disciples that have left you. Start uh, doing the nice things, the crowd-pleasing stuff. Heal people. You know, give the people wine. Uh, do all those cool things, Jesus. People are, are, are walking away from you. You're losing your status. They The second problem that they had, and, and that not only the brothers had, but the crowds had, is they had a problem with his message. Look at verse 6 through 8. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. The brothers are saying, the festival's here. It's time for us to go. Let's go down there and put on a show, Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what would happen if he didn't go. This is in verse 4. My time has not yet come. That phrase is going to be said more and more as we go through the book of John. My hour is not yet here. My time has not yet come. What is this about? Jesus was born with one purpose. To die on the cross in our place. Jesus came because we were sheep without a shepherd. Our sin separating us from God. And a sacrifice had to be paid once and for all. Jesus was called the Lamb of God that was slain. Jesus was born to die. His time had not come yet. Six months from now will be his time. He will roll in. The people are, are excited. Many of them are celebrating. Finally, our king has come. He's going he's gonna to vanquish uh, all of those who are against us. The Romans are going to be taken out. We're going to have a king. And a week later, they're yelling. My time is not yet come, but your time has always been. What does he mean by that? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, God says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His purpose and his compassion and, and his mission, we don't always understand. But God's timing is always perfect. In Galatians 4, 4 through 5, let me read this for you. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus came to make us children of God. And God said in Galatians chapter 4, when the perfect time had come, God's timing is not always ours. What do we want? We want it. We want it. All of it. And we want it now. Jesus' brothers were like, come on, Jesus. You're losing popularity. You're losing status. Get back to me. And Jesus said, my time has not yet come. The world cannot hate you, he goes on to say. But it hates me because I testify about its works and that its works are evil. So Jesus says here, um, the timing is not now, 
And they have problem not only with his timing, but they have a problem with his message. You know, they wanted Jesus to be the, the good storyteller. They wanted Jesus to be the crowd pleaser. They wanted Jesus to be the one who would set them free from, from oppression. They said, your message has become too harsh. Stop talking about eating of flesh and shedding of blood and, and, and stop talking about death and dying. Please the crowds. Come on and tell us how we can love ourselves and be happy. Come on and give us an inspirational message, Jesus. Tell us how we can be all we can be. And that's the kind of message our world wants to buy into. We want a Jesus who can build us up. We want a Jesus who can make us feel good about ourselves. That's not the gospel. The message of the church is offensive. Stop talking about that, Jesus. Just tell us how we can how we can be better. Tell us how we can make it. Here's the gospel. Let me read it to you. From 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this, For what I learned and received, I now pass on to you. And this is of first importance. The most important thing you need to know in your life is this. Pay attention. Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scripture. That's the gospel. Jesus came not to be our genie in a bottle, not to make our wishes come true. is love, and we do need to focus on the love of God, but because of God's great love for us, he could not let our sin go, not taken care of. Because of sin, a price had to be paid, and it just so happens that in God's great love for us, he decided to pay the price for our sin. He sent his son. The scriptures tell us while we were enemies, sinners, enemies of God, methods. They had a problem with this message. Your message is too dark. Come on, just build us up, Jesus. And so, they head on to the festival. Jesus does end up going, but he goes down at a different time. Many times when you go to these festivals, there were certain roads that everybody traveled. There were these big like parades and parties all the way down. I'm sure people, as they're walking down to Judea, into town, they're talking. We're going to see about it in a minute. Oh, what are you so excited about? You know what I'm really excited about? That guy, Jesus. What if he shows up on the scene and, like, turns a bunch of water into wine again? What, what if he comes in and he heals like he's healed before? And other people are saying, you know what? That guy, Jesus, he's a, he's a troublemaker. He's leading people astray. Look what it says here. Jesus.
Jesus tells his presence, you go on up to Jesus, and I'm not going to go up to Jesus king right now, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained at home in Galilee. Verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went, but not publicly with his disciples. He went down, and we know from the other gospels that he actually went back through Samaria to avoid the crowds. Remember the crowds? They didn't want to go through Samaria. They went around Samaria. They traveled down through Judea. Jesus goes through Samaria. He knows that they want to kill him, so he is, while he's God and there's no way they can take his life from him unless the time was right, he still many times slips away because they try to kill him. Verse 10, after this, his brothers went down to the feast, and then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. Verse 11, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the different people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he's leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, they already knew this. People were either loving him or hating him. And those who hated him wanted him dead. And for fear of what they might do to them, if they were to be heard talking about him, no one spoke good things about him. Verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple, and he began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled. That word marveled means a bunch of things. It means that they were amazed. Not all in a good way, though. Some were like looking at him and saying, wait a minute. There is something different about the way he's teaching. That's reported often. Nicodemus came to him and talked to him on John chapter 3 and said, there's some, you, you teach with power. It's as if you know what you're talking about. The crowds marveled, saying, how is this man, how is it that he has learning when he has never studied? What they mean by this is that, you know, the disciples, the Pharisees, would go and pick certain people to learn under their, their, their teaching. And there was no Pharisee, no teacher, no, um, what's the word, rabbi being mentioned. Jesus was just teaching these things. Many of those who would teach would say, as so-and-so taught me, I now teach you. And so many of them were saying, you know what, he's, he's speaking stuff we've never heard. He's speaking as if he knows what he's talking about. And others were saying, well, how is it possible that he knows this stuff when he's never studied under, under one of our known rabbis. And so Jesus, knowing what was going on, he said to them in verse 16, listen to me, guys. My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. I'm not teaching what another Pharisee, what another rabbi has taught me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know that what I'm teaching is from God. And this is, I want to hone in this as we close today. This is probably one of the most important messages in all of Scripture. I've had many people throughout the years, 25 years in ministry, 
I don't know what God wants for me. Are you praying about it? Yeah, I've been praying about it. How are you living? If our will is not in line with God's will, we don't know God. Did you catch that? If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him whom sent him is true, and him there is no falsehood. What he is saying is, you don't know me because you don't know my Father's will. The only way to truly know Christ is to have our will, our desire, our passion, our longing come in alignment with him. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. There is nothing you and I can do in order to earn salvation. There is no amount of good work that we can do to somehow finally reach a level where God says, okay, you've made it, you're saved. If you look at the stories we've looked at so far in John, in, in the Gospel of John, we see the woman at the well having a sinful life with many men. The man she's with now, she's not married to him. And Jesus says, I'm here. He's offering her eternal life, not based on who she is. She's not even repenting. And Jesus offers each and every one of us, for any believers, I am here to set you free from a life of sin. I am here to forgive you. I am here to give you new life. We become born again, transformed people of God by simply our belief that he died on the cross in our place and confessing with our mouth that we want him to be our Lord. At that moment, we become a Christian. 1 John chapter 5 says that we believe and we know that you have him. So number one, do you know him? Have you put your faith and trust in him? But number two is if you're going to grow in Christ, the first step that I just explained is called justification. At the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus sees you just as if you are his child. But from that point forward, we need to grow. A a baby is born living. And that baby is living, and there's something that baby did to itself in order to have life come. But in order for that baby to grow and mature, that baby's got to eat. That baby's got to be fed. That baby's got to be cared for. And in the same way, in order for us to live the life and grow in the kind of life that God wants us to walk in, we have to submit our will to the will of the Father. In Romans chapter 12, it says, Do not conform any longer to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take it on a new way of thinking. These religious men that Jesus is talking to, they thought they could find their salvation in the law. They thought and were prideful 
that I have obeyed all of these commandments. I have piled up this stack of good deeds, thinking they somehow had more good than bad and earned God's favor. And they used the law as a way to build themselves up. Jesus even quoted one of the Pharisees saying, this Pharisee stands over here and he prays to the Father saying, God, thank you that I am so much better than that sinner over there. And they were using the law to build themselves up for their own glory. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he was saying to them, your will isn't to do God's will. If your will was to do God's will, if you wanted what God wanted, you would know who I am. And you would know that the things that I'm teaching you today are true if your heart was right. The one who speaks of his own authority seeks his own glory. Jesus is saying, I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm telling you what God the Father wants you to hear. I'm not speaking for myself. I'm speaking what the Father has told me to say. And you need to stop teaching to other people so that you get built up on your own. You need to stop telling people seeking your own glory. They had a problem with his motive. They had a problem with his motive was saying, it needs to be no longer my will. Jesus himself, the night before he was arrested, he knew what was coming as he was going to give up his life and go to the cross. And yet he prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Satan's first step towards the fall was, I'm not going to obey your will anymore. I want my will. Unless we put our will in submission to the will of the Father, message, come and see the cool things I'm going to do. That was easy. A big crowd following him. Then Jesus' message, come and eat of me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's getting a little crazy. I'm not sure I want to follow you anymore. And Jesus is about to say, come and die to yourself. Die to your own will. And find my will. That's why it's so important that we have to understand that we have to learn what it means when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you need to learn to pick up your cross. He hadn't even yet gone to the cross, so it wasn't a religious symbol. Yet, what he was saying to his followers, if you want to follow me, you must be willing to die. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. This life that I live, I don't live for myself, I live for him. He died for me. Verse 19, he drives it home. He knows that they are totally wrapped up in the law. He knows that above all, they think they can find salvation from the Ten Commandments plus the the 600 uh, plus others. Has not Moses given you the law, Jesus says? He's going to drive it home. I want you to see that you don't know me because you don't know the Father. You don't know the Father because your will is your own will and not the will of the Father. You think you find salvation in the law? Has Moses given you the law? 
yet none of you keeps the law. Now that's piercing their heart. These are the religious leaders of the day. Who are you to tell us that we're not keeping the law? In his hearts, he knew they wanted to kill him. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And yet they were, they were furious. They wanted to kill him. You believe in the law? Moses gave me the law, and yet you want to kill me. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd standing around answered him and said, you have a demon. That was their way of saying, you must be crazy. Why would they want to kill you? Who's seeking to kill you, Jesus? Jesus answered, I'm going to give you the second reason. You, you love the law, and yet you want to kill me. You love the law, and yet listen to this one. I did one work, and you, you marvel at it. Marvel doesn't mean necessarily that they were excited about it. They're like, I can't believe he did that. The one work he's talking about is the work of healing the, the crippled man on the Sabbath. From that point on, they've been seeking to kill him. I did one work, and you marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Little ones, ask your mom and dad what that is. Go home. But Moses gave you circumcision. It was commanded, the law of Moses was, on the eighth day, every male child is to be circumcised as a sign of being set apart and made better in God's eyes. And so, these Jews believed that it was sinful to do anything on the Sabbath. You couldn't even push a button. You couldn't even pick up sticks. And yet they allowed circumcision to be done on the Sabbath because that was another law. So if the eighth day for you as a child fell on the Sabbath day, well, it was okay for you to be circumcised. So Jesus said this, Moses gave you circumcision, but it wasn't actually from Moses. It was from uh, my father, and you circumcise a man even on the Sabbath day. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me because on a Sabbath I made a whole man well? You think it's okay to perform a little act of circumcision, but I have not come just to perform an outward sign. I have come to heal you completely. That's okay, but this which is even better is not okay. You don't understand the law. You, what is the what is the full purpose of the law? What is the what? Somebody came to test Jesus and said, "Of all the laws, what's the greatest?" What did he say? Number one, to love the Lord your God with your all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And what is the second greatest commandment? To love your paralyzed neighbor. I'm loving this man. That is the sum of all the commandments. To love God and love your neighbor. And yet you want to kill me for fulfilling the law? You don't know the law. And the reason you don't know the law is because you do not have the full knowledge Moses gave you circumstances. judge by appearances. Do 
not make judgment based on just the works I've done or even the words I've taught, but judge with right judgment. In order to know him as aligned the will with the will of Christ, we cannot know Christ and not submit ourselves to his will. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. Obeying my commands won't won't save you, but once you are saved, once you have come to me through believing in me, in order to grow in me, to know who I am, to know what my will is for your life, you need to make your life in alignment with the one who has ordained it for you. So how do we do this? Four four applications. Number one, we need to realize that we need to change the heart and the will. It's not enough just to know about Jesus. We need to align our heart passions with his. That's why we, it's it's not human nature to want someone else's will above our own. Many times our loving acts are so that we can receive something from born again and made new and a new way of thinking, aligning, putting Christ's will above our own in every area of our life. Number two, because this doesn't come natural, we have to, we have to learn to pray daily. Jesus taught his followers, here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily bread. We need to pray that kind of way every day. I'm so angry and I want what I want. I know I deserve it. And the world around us is going to tell us, you're right. You fight for your right. Help me to learn to turn against your will. Pursue your will and not my own. Number three, we need to learn to develop a spiritual appetite, a spiritual taste. If I want to learn to appreciate classical might listen to a song and go, why, why is that so good? Uh, I, don't, I don't get it. But the more I study it, the way I studied it when I wrote it, uh, I might go to a live concert. I'll immerse myself in that culture so I can learn to appreciate that music. The same with, with, with fine wine. If I want to, uh, the first time I tasted wine, I was like, why does anybody like this? This is gross. You go to a wine tasting and you learn to the buttery notes here and the caramel and, the, and you're like, oh, I just taste good. Study it. If you want to learn art, why is that painting on the wall? Why is that good? You study it. You read about it. You learn about the artist. You learn about the culture. You learn what makes good art good art. If you want to learn about Star Wars, walk with me and I'll teach you. In order to learn and develop an appetite for someone, or something, we've got to immerse ourselves in it. 
won't just come naturally. And, and the true is the, and the same thing is true with God. We want to put our will in alignment with His will, but we've got to slay it. We've got to walk in it. We've got to surround ourselves with others who are walking in His will as well. That's why it's so important to not let religion just be a, 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 a box on your checklist that you check off here and there, but it becomes something that is immersed in who you say you are. Our relationship with Christ does not become religion. A relationship doesn't just happen one day a week. A relationship with God is each and every day. It's submitting to His teaching, learning to pray to Him, learning to meditate on His Word.
want to give your heart to Jesus and take that first step to salvation, I'd love to pray with you about that. Just listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him lead you. Trust him as you take these steps of faith. On each of our tables, we have a basket also for offerings. If you want to worship God and bring your next offering, we invite you to do so. Either now or as you leave. Respond to